This episode of Quite Unusual is brought to you by Spirits of Salem Book 2, The After, by E.S. Kern. In this explosive sequel to his debut novel, The Shade, author E.S. Kern explores the fateful consequences of Sybil Aldgate's ascension. Descendant of Salem witches and a modern-day ghost whisperer, Sybil faces even bigger threats, world-shattering revelations, and terrors from a past she didn't even know existed. As the mythical veil, a barrier separating the worlds of the living and the dead, grows thinner, a strange and dangerous new entity begins to stalk the burgeoning hedgewitch, hijacking her newfound powers to cause harm to others. Will Sybil be able to unmask this fiend before it can destroy her once and for all? Find out in Spirits of Salem Book 2, The After. Available on Amazon and Kindle, March 2022. Spirits of Salem Book 1, The Shade, available on Amazon and Kindle now. Pick up the anniversary edition this Halloween. Where will you be when worlds collide? Quite unusual. What's up, and welcome to the Quite Unusual Podcast. I'm Nicole. And I'm Noelle. And uh, we are your hosts. We're the hosts. We are. Here's a little uh, synchronicity for you. Synchronize me, Captain. You know how in the last episode we were talking about emus? Yeah. And you brought up the Great Emu War? Obsessed. That that I had apparently not heard of. The only war I was pro-war at, yes. (laughs) Just happened in Australia, which... I guess is a thing. Well, while I was researching uh, for this episode, I took a little break, you know, Facebook scroll, and a freaking article about the emu war <laughs> popped up on my newsfeed. What? And I was reading it, and it was sad because they were basically just killing emus. Yeah. Because there were too many. Yeah. But and the emus were destroying the crops. Mm-hmm. I know it's super sad, but um, it had a pretty great twist at the end, didn't it? What was the twist? Didn't the emus win? No, they just like killed a bunch of emus. Oh, I thought the emus killed a bunch of people. Well, I th- the the article that I read, they were just like they just killed a bunch of emus. I might be wrong, and I'd be, be like revisionized history right now. Um, but I would like to think <laughs> that the emus won. That the emus won, and the emus killed a bunch of people. And I think it did say that like three people died. Good. I don't know if it was an emu-related death or no. emu-related death. No matter how – do me a favor because obviously I'm going to die before you. That's not true. Well, I mean, you're only immortal until you die, but so we'll find out. Um, if I die – okay, if I happen to die and you are still alive, I would really yeah. like it if you could um, – you Googleize me and also put on my tombstone that I died an emu-related death. Do you want me to update the Wikipedia page to say that you were one of the victims in the emu war? Yes. Yeah. And then also on our Wikipedia page, just put in there deceased due to emu related violence. <laughs> due to emus. Please. Could you just do that? Okay. So I also, this led me down another rabbit hole okay. because I was like, well, they're killing all of these emus. Sure. And what did they do with them? Like, did they eat them or do something useful? So I Googled. You can eat the emus? Can you eat emu? And apparently you can. Okay. And a- and apparently my dog thinks that she can scratch in this carpet. So I apologize. But anyways, apparently it tastes like beef. No sure. But it's lower cholesterol and is fat it, calories. Is it like a white meat? 
It's yeah, I don't know if it's white meat or not, but it so it tastes like beef, but it's like better for you. Okay. And I'm like, why aren't we eating more emus, right? Well, they're not like yeah, emu okay. steak. Yeah, yeah. Well, apparently, it tastes exactly like filet mignon. Whoa. But through my ADHD research, because I should not have been researching emus. I should have been researching feral you. children. Dude, research for this episode took like <laughs> fucking 11 days. I just cannot pay attention to anything right it's now. It's okay. I get it. Um, so apparently what the reason why they don't like emu meat is, isn't a thing is because they only get 30 pounds of meat from one bird. And a cow is 550 pounds of meat. Oh, that makes total sense. Yeah. It's like, why would you kill a bird that's 30 pounds of meat versus a cow that probably probably costs like the same amount to raise them? I don't know what emus yeah. eat, though. Well, so farmers apparently break even when they go to sell the meat because what, what it costs to, I guess, keep an emu farm and transport the meat. It should cost so much more, like... Emu meat should be super expensive then. Yeah. Well, that's why nobody eats it because farmers are just like, yeah, we're not making any money from this. So. Wow. I'm yeah. learning so much about meat right now. <laughs> Who know, knew? Right? Who knew this was going to happen? And it's like a, like more, it's a more ethical farming too, but it just produces less meat. Yeah. So. How interesting. Yeah. Wow. Well, I don't eat emus. Yeah. If anyone has, has had emu, let us know. Yeah, dude. Oh, my God. I, I wonder was at, what it tastes like. I was at the grocery store not long ago, and they had camel meat. What? Where? What grocery store are you going to? <laughs> it was um, uh, Mariano's. Really? Yeah, they had frozen camel meat. And camels are my favorite animal. Mm-hmm. So, it, like, I cried a little bit in the grocery store. Well, that's so weird. Isn't that fucking bizarre? Was it a steak or, like, ground It was, like, beef? ground camel meat. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck is this shit, dude? Yeah. We're in the mid-fucking-west. <laughs> Who is eating camel meat? So, actually, I just want to do, like, let's just do, like, a weird shout-out right now. If you've eaten any sort of exotic meats. Yeah, let us know. I want to know. I, I'm kind of curious what camel tastes like, though. I've, I'm So, I'm a vegetarian, but I would try anything once. Mm-hmm. You know? I wouldn't try camel because it's my favorite animal. Is it? Yeah. Camel, yeah, camels and geese are my favorite animals. That's true. I would never eat dog. No. So I might eat chihuahua because my chihuahua is being very bad right now. I would eat the shit out of a dog <laughs> just for fun. Not even hungry. I'm like, oh, I'm already kind of full. <laughs> so we have actually another exciting, pretty exciting thing to announce. If you guys noticed that little ad we had at the beginning of this episode, we are now sponsored by author and friend of the pod, E.S. Kern. So we talked about his book, Spirits of Salem, on last week's episode, and we are now sponsored by his book, his new book, actually, um, Spirits of Salem, book two, The After. So pick up the Spirits of Salem book. You could buy it from Amazon and get your witchy on for this season. Yeah, we read the first one. We did like a little book club for mm-hmm. it. It was super fun. So honestly, highly recommend like a personal recommendation here. And also just goes to show you, you put something out into the universe and it comes back and pays you for it. So <laughs> highly recommend doing that too. Love it. Well, anyways, this is part two to our feral children. Are we calling this a sweet I like a sweet. I mean, it's. I think we made a mistake because we called it a two-parter, and it's not really like a part two because the story doesn't continue necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't actually have to listen to the first one to get the second one, but it's beneficial. It's like a like a cousin episode. Yes, it's like kissing cousins. You know, kissing cousins. It's like your first cousins, but like 
he's like super hot and you're like (laughs) i don't know is this weird and everyone's like it is kind of it is kind of weird it's it's fucking weird also technically illegal so maybe stop yeah stop doing what you're doing right now yeah yeah so this episode is kissing cousins with uh (laughs) feral children part one with nick and now nick and now let's get into it we too are kissing cousins how nice All right, let's get uh, let's get out of the incest talk and into the feral people talk, shall we? Let's please let's just get away from all incest. Let's start all all episodes with exotic meat and incest talk. Yep, it's quite unusual. That's what we are: horse and carriage here. All right, so if you listened to last week's episode, you know that we went over some super fun and also like super sad stories of yeah. children being raised by animals and existing in a feral state. Well. We have a lot more feral creature talk to chat about. We do. Basically. We do. Let's start with something that has been going around TikTok. So many people have brought this up to us. Yeah. So many people. And actually, one of our listeners recommended we do feral children. Oh. And I am so fucking sorry. I do not remember who it was. So if that was you, um, reach out to us, DM us on IG, or email us, and I will send you a present. We will send yeah. you a present. Shout out to you, whoever you are. Shout out to you, <laughs> name redacted. <laughs> Once you find out, I could maybe edit it in. Yeah, I'm just going to say it like really plainly, like Bill Withers. And like you're just going to like put it in like that, right? I could do that, yeah. Okay, I think that's sure. right. So shout out to you. Bill Withers. Bill Withers. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Okay, so this has been going around TikTok. Um, we are elder millennials, so we're on TikTok, but we just like lurk on it. Yeah, I don't really know how to use it. Um, and then I forget that I have it. And then you send me TikTok videos. I really just downloaded the app because you were sending me TikTok videos <laughs> and it was just easier to look at them that way. Well, that's what I doom, sh- I like doom scroll with now. So mm-hmm. it like I'll start on TikTok and I'm like, oh, wow, it's 3 p.m. and I should have been working this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> But I've watched all these TikToks and I learned this new dance to blinding lights. Mm. So <laughs> I did learn one of the TikTok dances though. Which one? Uh up, the one to up. Oh yeah. I totally learned that one. Yeah. We should we should like try harder with our TikTok. We should. Yeah. We should also get back to feral people. <laughs> okay, so we have, like I said, several listeners who have sent us these sick ass TikToks. Um I'm obsessed. We're obsessed. It's super fascinating. It's big, like, hills have eyes vibes. Yeah. Yeah. So this is more of an urban legend. Um, There isn't a ton of concrete evidence of feral people living in national parks. Mm, I wonder why. But there is tons of anecdotal evidence. So for me, personally, I kind of want to believe it. I mean, like, why not, right? Is the government hiding them from us? I think the government's hiding a lot of things from us, so possibly. Yeah. So, I mean, why not feral people living in national parks? Possibly. That's why maybe they have national parks. Whoa, is that why? To hide the feral people. To hide the feral people. That's where they keep them. It's where they keep the grays. It's where they keep the tall whites. It's where they keep the I feral mean, people. Just the theory. I'm not going to say no, because you know me. I don't trust the government. That's right. Dogs growling for the government. I feel like national parks are the obvious place for feral people to live. Mm. Don't you think? Yeah. Large areas of just like untouched land, like seemingly like a perfect place for people to like hide out. Yeah. A lot of places to hide. Yeah. Or maybe like, I don't, what if they don't know that they're hiding out? What if they just like are existing and like civilization never touches them? They just don't have any like TV or anything. Yeah. So they just like are out there like my side of the mountain style. Huh. Interesting theory. 
I don't know, it's sort of fun. We do know that hundreds of thousands of people go missing in the United States every year, and quite a few of them go missing in national parks. And as we saw with the recent Gabby Petito case, it's very difficult to find a body in the wilderness. Yeah. Unless you are Brian Laundrie's father. <laughs> what the fuck, Gilly? <laughs> Okay, I just want to say this, and I feel like we shouldn't cut this out right now. Um, We are trying to record. It is 2 o'clock. My cat is walking on my fucking laptop. She's never done that before. Your your dog is barking at the cat. Something is going down. I think there's a ghost in that room because they're both being really... over there. They're both being really weird. I think there's a ghost over there. Because what is Kelly looking at right now? Amber's looking, too. This is weird. National parks in general are just, like, super full of danger. Mm-hmm. A person can just completely succumb to nature itself and just meet their fate that way. I feel like it's really easy, which we learned from the last episode, that if you just leave a person outside in nature um, and they die, technically you didn't kill them. Nature did. <laughs> so, like, you're off the hook. Yeah, if you just, like, leave a baby in the woods, it's definitely not your fault. Like, you didn't kill the baby. Like, nature killed a baby. Nature. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. kosher, right? Exposure. Yeah. And that's kosher. Even though you left the baby there. But you it's... didn't But you didn't hurt the baby. Mm, you just left yeah. it. Like, it's not your fault the baby doesn't know how to drive to a grocery <laughs> store to get food. It's true. It's, <laughs> it's guess, not your fault. I guess, valid point. But then there's other times when we can point fingers at other humans, whether it's like, mm, I don't know, maybe a disgruntled fiance mm. or a complete stranger. We do know that people are capable of the worst imaginable things, and the national park system is kind of the perfect location to do crime. Yeah. Or like that one, there's also that one sliver of national park that they say you can't if you kill someone. Remember, that was the whole thing with Brian Laundrie is, like, if you kill oh. someone. But it's, like, fake, though. It's, like, international waters. Yeah, because they don't, like, technically nobody lives there. So if you did have a murder trial, you wouldn't – they wouldn't have people to, like, form a jury. Legally, you can still get arrested and go to jail for murder, if even in that little space. But that article was making the rounds when the whole Gabby Petito, Brian Laundrie thing was happening. Yeah, but, like, that makes no sense. Like, just because – no one lives in that zip code doesn't mean that it's not murder and illegal. (laughs) Like, okay, they can't have a trial there, so move it to another part of the state? Exactly. It is stupid. I don't know. I don't know. People come up with the crazy Some guy, like, wrote a paper about it once, and everyone took it and ran with it. Do you know how many things have been ruined by a guy writing a paper one time? (laughs) So many things. So many things. (laughs) Like I was saying, TikTok is full stories of people claiming to see wild people in national parks but there's very little facts to back them up it's just a lot of people being like i saw a man he looked like he's never showered and he was like making weird grunting noises and i was like with my boyfriend and i was like ew and then we like laughed and like that's like like that's what a lot of these tiktoks are or it's like the green screen and there's like they like show pictures behind it those I fucking hate, I hate that so much. I truly hate true crime TikTok. I hate the holding of like the mic from your earphones too, and right? you're like talking into it. It's just stuff. Oh my god! Or some people have like the little mini microphones <laughs> and they talk into it. It's like, is it a bit? I don't know. I don't get it. I maybe I'm just too old. It's got to be a bit, and then people just take it seriously. Yeah. 
I don't know. One TikToker has like 50 videos claiming that she heard, quote, primitive screaming. How, what, what does that even mean? Yeah, I don't know. She was like camping in the Smoky Mountains and she claims that she heard this scream and then she went to a park ranger the next day and she was like, um, how many missing persons were reported last night? And the ranger was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. None. Okay, can I just say that I love your TikTok influencer voice <laughs> that you have going on? Thank you. It's like chef's kiss. Thank you. So she took this as proof that there was a government cover-up because she heard a quote-unquote primitive scream. And then the park ranger was like, what? Does she know like animals can make that noise, right? They live. That's where they live. I heard a primitive scream. <laughs> okay. And then I asked the park ranger and they were like, I don't know. And I was like, um, okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's her fact. Um, and you know me, you know, I, I hate the government. Yeah. Who doesn't? No, I hope you do. I hope everyone does. I hope so. Yeah. So I think that they're covering up like so many things that we'll just never, ever fucking find out about. Absolutely. This, though, um, like this, especially the specific scenario, mm-hmm. I I want to believe. I do. But I just don't know if there is a good enough reason for them to cover up wild people living in national parks. Yeah. Why would they hide? What would be the gain from hiding that? Unless it's like a Hills Have Eyes thing. And the reason why they're like feral is because of like nuclear testing. Maybe. That like deformed them and then they just like let them live there wild. I don't but, know. But I feel like if there was actually a huge problem with the population, with like a large population of feral people in the park system, I feel like the government would be more likely to just exterminate those people yeah. like genocide style. Yeah, for sure. Because the government doesn't do things that don't directly benefit them. Yeah, exactly. So they're not going to keep someone's little secret and for like for funsies. Yeah, no, they they would for sure kill all of those people. Yeah, I'm sure they've done it before, so... Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. They've definitely done it before. But uh, nevertheless, the lore behind feral people, especially in Appalachia and the Smoky Mountains, has existed for years and years. And honestly, I feel like it's stronger thanks to TikTok. So thanks, TikTok, for doing that. Thanks, TikTok teens. (laughs) One of the most popular lore is about, quote unquote, the wild men. Hmm. Mm-hmm. These are literally a group of men that exist outside of the confines of typical human culture and live a feral lifestyle. If you'll remember from the first episode in this uh, Kiss and Cousin suite, <laughs> um, feral people are like like akin to like a feral animal. Like you have a domesticated animal that knows the rules of society and then like you have a feral animal that's just like, fuck y'all bitches, I do what I want. (laughs) So that's what a feral animal basically, you know, feral person basically is. It's like they're not in our generally agreed upon human culture. Uncivilized, yeah. Right. So supposedly these wild men steal livestock, they steal pets, and they even steal children in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. to feast upon. I love that for them. I love a little cannibalism in the morning. (laughs) The wild men have their own language made up of guttural noises and violent gestures, which I think is just how men talk anyways. Yeah, isn't that, that's just normal man things. Just locker room talk, (laughs) dudes being dudes. These men are described a lot like feral children, um, like we said from, like, last week. Mm-hmm. They have, like, strange gates for some reason. Sometimes they run on all fours, they're described as. They're described as being barely human. Um, some people say that they're actually a subspecies or, like, a human Bigfoot hybrid. 
Uh, oh, I like that idea. I kind of love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Bigfoot's, like, super hot, so... Mm-hmm. He could get it. No, he's probably stinky. I was going to say, he's probably very stinky. Like, so stinky. And hairy. Oh, yeah. I don't like body hair, you know? You, you like it? No, not that oh. level. No, no, no. Oh, my God, no. No, thank you. All right, we're getting real personal here. So... Supposedly, the men are allowed to live in the mountains of Appalachia and are actually protected by the government, specifically the FBI. Okay. (laughs) It's like a deep cover-up that a lot of quote-unquote sources that I found treat like an actual fact. And they're like, oh, you know, like how the FBI like has this whole cover-up. Like everyone should know about this somehow. Okay. Yeah. These wild men are also shown as usually being actual men like always being male Mm -hmm. but i also saw them described as not being able to differentiate between genders because they all look kind of the same so it might be male might be female oh if they're wild do they wear clothes i don't i don't know it's like some somewhere like rags some like don't wear any clothes how would you not be able to differentiate male from female if they're running around i don't know i don't know i mean they're just covered in dirt maybe all the wild men are just like they them non-binaries and it's like they don't subscribe to that either well good for them power to you 2021 they can do what they want wild persons (laughs) (laughs) these wild men sorry wild persons are supposedly (laughs) descended from people that had lived in the mountains for centuries they're often also described as being inbred so true kissing cousins yeah everything comes back to that i guess (laughs) bring it right back and actually um nicole and i were watching this super fucked up like little youtube oh, video documentary God. yeah it's called inbred family colon the whitakers yeah. um i honestly a little bit hate bringing attention to this yeah but it's like i had no idea that this family existed until you were like you oh you you have to look at this i'm obsessed yeah it's it's so wild it's very wild. And the documentarian that is there, he's also asking questions. He's like, he's doing everything. He's filming probably on a phone because mm-hmm. so it's like kind of shit quality. Yeah. And then um, he's like asking questions to the family and he's making these weird, like wild derogatory comments to them. Yeah, he's not. He, it's not great. He's not a great interviewer and the things that he's asking are not very great either. No, they're not. They're not very kind. The way he's asking them yeah, are kind yeah. of dickish. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like basically this dude... He's filming and he tries to get the family to say that they're inbred, but the lady he's talking to won't do it. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, your your mom and dad were brother and sister, right? And she's like, no. Yeah. And like, he's like, oh, okay. And then like moves on instead of like asking anything else. Yeah. He d- he's a terrible interviewer. It's not, he's not very great, but the family themselves are very interesting. They're They're very interesting. And whether or not the family is a product of incest, I feel like it doesn't really matter. It's very sensationalist, and it's kind of fucked up, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you guys are interested, it's called Inbred Family, colon, the Whitakers. It's all over YouTube. Yeah. And they have a GoFundMe now to kind of help them with, like, like costs of living. Yeah, because they basically just live on what, like, their own – their families just lived on a bunch of acres. Yeah, that, like, they've had for, like, centuries. What, and... what is it? West Virginia that mm-hmm. they live? West Virginia. Yeah. Yeah, and they're just, like, super poor and, like, yeah. It's like, like, really uneducated. Some of them can't even talk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Whitaker family is shown as an example of feral people. I don't think – I don't think they're feral necessarily – 
But there is one man in this family. His name is Ray. Um, he's so, oh my yeah. God, he's so sweet. He is very sweet. He seems to have like, I, I want to say he has a mental disability. Obviously, yeah. I don't know. He cannot speak like mm-hmm. English. He makes this loud chirping noise like a dog does. Mm-hmm. Like a little like chihuahua bark style. Yeah. But he, he responds to questions. So when he's yeah. asked a question, he'll like bark and like point. Yeah. And when the guy like addresses him, he points at himself. He's like, Ray. And whenever he says Ray, the, he always like points me, me, Ray. Yeah. So he understands. Yeah. He fully understands what's being asked of him. Like there's this one part where the documentarian is like, oh, your brother died, right? And Ray mm-hmm. like starts barking and like pointing and he leads him over to the, like, his brother's grave. Mm-hmm. So he knows what's going on. Yeah. He just can't communicate. Right. I don't know. Maybe it is a product of inbreeding and that's why he can't, I don't know, doesn't have the mental capacity to form words. I don't know. I don't don't know. I can't speak on any of that because I don't really know. Yeah. That's the thing is nobody knows. Yeah. And this guy like just didn't actually get to the bottom of anything. Yeah. He's fucking terrible. The worst ever. Like (laughs) I truly want to know these people's stories now. I'm invested in them. I want somebody to get do like an actual really like really good documentary on these people. Yeah. But no one will. No, it's no. just a stupid guy. <laughs> so anyways, back to these wild people. The wild men of the Smoky Mountains are also supposedly cannibals. Why? I don't know. Probably to make them seem scarier, like um, like that horror movie, Wrong Turn. Yeah. Which is honestly... I love that movie. So fucking good. Yeah. I'm not like... You're like a scream queen. Like you're like horror movies for life. Yeah. I like a little dabble in the, the horror, but um, I truly love this movie. It's a good one. I haven't seen the new one, but... The new one is fan-fucking-tastic. The, uh, the old one with Elijah Cuthbert, or whatever the fuck her name is. Elijah Dushko? Oh, is that... Uh, oh, I'm mixing the two. I'm yeah. mixing two episodes <laughs> together. Yeah, Elijah Dushku. Uh-huh. She... I like that one a lot. Yeah, that one's super good, and the new one is so good. I like, I was like... I don't love a remake always, but... Um, yeah. Top notch, honestly. Oh. Very, very good. All Let's right. watch it later. Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> Also, there's a lot of speculation that the wild men are actually indigenous people that I saw they may have slipped away from the Trail of Tears and then survived in nature until modern day, Hmm. which is very dramatic. Um, I also saw that maybe they just hid out and they're just indigenous population and they're just chilling. And they're just like done with people and society. Yeah. Don't blame them. Basically. Another theory is that these feral people are hermits or nomads, and they have gone just fully off the grid and are basically returning to the wild, which to me sounds most believable. Yeah, I love that, too. Yeah, like I'm imagining like Francis McDee in Nomadland. <laughs> I love that movie. I fucking love that it's movie. so good. You told me to watch it, yes. and I was so like, eh, I want to watch it. It's going to make me cry. I cried so much. I, yeah, you just cry. Just be prepared to cry through the whole thing. <sighs> Francis McDormand is a vision. She's the best actress of all time. Of all time. I mean, Elijah Dusker is also really great, but Frances McDee, no one holds a candle. No. No. So I'm just... Frances McDee. (laughs) So I'm just picturing, like, her, like, living on the side of a mountain, basically, which I think she could do as a person. totally. She can do anything. such a bad bitch. Literally anything. Yeah. So I think if you live long enough, like, live alone long enough, you probably forget how to talk like everyone else. Mm, yeah and you would probably just start to look absolutely feral like no shower for 30 years probably not going to look top of your game yeah yeah i do know that that's how some accents were formed like isolation really Mm -hmm. 
Would you know which ones? I don't know. Um, but I no, I, I probably should have looked that up and actually put that in there because this is just like an off my head fact here. But yeah, like if, if you think about it, like if a group of 100 people move mm-hmm. to an isolated place and you're only talking to those people. Yeah. You're going well, to all talk the same. Yeah. You would think that like that's sort of how an American accent came to be because everyone came from England. Yes, which oh and now God. and we don't have English accents. Okay, but here's another fun fact. Mama's dropping on you now. Okay. The New England accent is closest to what they think the actual original British accent was. And the British what? accent that people in London speak now is fake transatlantic style because people wanted to sound posh, so they would be like, "Hello, governor," <laughs> you know, instead of like or like whatever they're fucking saying um so they wanted to sound posh so they like kind of like faked it a little like transatlantic style and it stuck because people would speak to their children with that voice and you listen and you learn that way so wicked smart that is (laughs) wicked smart is the og british accent is the og (laughs) mark Wahlberg's accent hey i'm walking here casey affleck's accent from what's that movie he's in uh something by the bay manchester, manchester by, by the, the sea nailed it <laughs> fuck you that's the that's, original that's a british accent so dreamy love a british accent oh my god so hot wow fuck you <laughs> i just think of matt damon and goodwill hunting god save the queen <laughs> yeah so that's i have no research to back that up but i did hear that once okay <laughs> i'm sure somebody will correct us they always do <laughs> i hope they fucking do I hope someone's like, you're 100% right. I'm a linguistic historian and you're, you're 100% correct. And you're sounding stupid right now. No, no! <laughs> As opposed to the way I usually sound. Okay. Um, when I was researching feral people that supposedly live in national parks, I also found a lot of stories of people that live in and around the Appalachians. And um, a lot of like the townsfolk, if you will, Basically had a lot of stories of like, oh, don't go deep into the woods or like we don't go out at night or similar things like that, Mm -hmm. which kind of gives a lot of credence to this whole like feral wild people. It's like the village vibes. I love that movie. Love that movie too. Yeah. So many plot holes. (laughs) If you ignore all the plot holes in it and you just look at Joaquin's beautiful little face, that's all that matters. So it seems that the locals tend to agree that there is something in them that are woods, and mm. it might be feral. Mm. Well, speaking of feral people and national parks, I want to talk about the most infamous missing persons case in a national park. The Great Smoky Mountains, to be exact. What a great name for a mountain range. I know. Thank you. Fantastic. And that is the case of Dennis Lloyd Martin, which happened more than 50 years ago, but still remains the largest scale hunt for a missing person in the Smokies ever. Wow. So Dennis Martin was born June 20th, 1962. What is that, cancer? It's a cancer. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And he was just a six-year-old boy from Knoxville, Tennessee. It was family tradition to go camping every Father's Day weekend, and little Denny was finally old enough to partake. Little Denny. I know. On Father's Day weekend, 1969, Dennis, at the age of six, his brother Doug, age nine, their father Bill Martin, and their grandfather Clyde Martin, 
along with friend of the family, Dr. Carter Martin. Not related? Not related. Kissing cousins. <laughs> and his two sons were all camping together in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. The group hiked from Cades Cove to Russell Field, where they spent the night. The next day, they hiked to Spence Field near the Appalachian Trail, and their plan was to spend the night here. So the group had settled in Spence Field on June 14th, and around 3 p.m., the boys came up with this master plan. So their plan was that they were going to scare the adults. Oh, so, so cute. I know. So they they were going to hide in the woods, so the, sur- the woods surrounding the campsite, and then, I don't know, someone was going to count to three or whatever, and then they were all going to jump out and boot and scare the, oh. the adults, right? So the adults watched as the boys huddled around making plans, and they readied themselves to be pranked by the younger kids, so they knew what was going on. This is like the sweetest thing. Yeah. They're like, okay, these kids, we got to pretend to be scared, all right? They're going to scare us. So Dennis was last seen by his father hiding behind a bush, getting ready to jump out and scare the adults. No more than five minutes later, all of the kids jumped out, surprising the adults who acted as though they were shocked by the act. It was all good fun until they realized that all of the children had jumped out, but Dennis was nowhere to be seen. Little Demi. At first, they just thought that Dennis was a little late because he was the smallest and the youngest, and he had also gone a little further away from the group. But as the minutes passed, the adults started to panic. Dude, no shit. This is also so sad. He's the smallest and yeah. youngest little daddy. He was just six. I'm actually going to cry right now. So they decided to split up and search for Dennis as, I mean, he couldn't have gotten that far, right? Right. He's a little kid. Well, wrong. <gasps> Dennis's father ran down the trail for two miles, yelling Dennis's name, and after several hours of searching, they called for help from the National Park Service rangers. But as the sun set on the first day of Dennis's disappearance, a storm blew in, dropping three inches of rain and washing away any clue or any evidence that could have led to finding Dennis. Oh my god. It also rained three days later on June 17th. Another three inches fell from the sky, causing streams to flood and also just basically wiping away anything that could have been there. Nighttime temperatures dropped to 50 degrees Fahrenheit or 10 degrees Celsius, which... If you're from New England and you still (laughs) consider yourself to be British, you'll probably understand that. Yeah. But this also made finding the six-year-old boy alive even less of a possibility. (laughs) Yeah, dude. I mean, that is so cold. And all that rain, little Denny. There were separate searches by the National Guard and Special Forces, but neither were able to find any trace of Dennis. 1,400 people were involved in the search. The group of volunteers included college students, family friends, Boy Scouts, hunters, park rangers, off-duty firefighters, police officers, 57 rescue squads from four states, and military personnel, including 60 Green Berets. Yeah, I saw that the Green Berets were like, we need to find Dennis. And mm-hmm. they like banded together and were yeah. like, like, the best of the best. We're fucking finding this kid. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a good thing because you can cover more ground. Yeah. But 
it can also lead to accidental tampering with clues. <gasps> I never thought of that. So for instance, several footprints were found in the area, but they couldn't really use that as concrete evidence because there were several young Boy Scouts included in the search. Oh, wow. And it was believed that the prints might have belonged to them, but also they didn't really know. Mm-hmm. However, the prints showed that the child was wearing... Whoever the prince were was a child, and they were wearing one Oxford shoe, like Dennis was wearing, Mm -hmm. and then there was one barefoot. (gasps) Oh, oh, okay. So. Probably Denny. Possible. The prince led to a stream and then just disappeared. But no one knows if these truly belonged to Dennis or not, because there was really no way to tell. Wow. By June 22nd, eight days after the initial disappearance, the footprints and a shoe and sock, one sock, were found, and that was all that was found in 56 miles that had been covered. Oh, shit. Was it an Oxford shoe? It was Dennis's shoe? I don't think it was Dennis's shoe. No. I don't think they said it was just Dennis's. Another... Yeah, it oh, was okay. just a shoe. Oh, okay, okay. Then on June 26th, the search was cut back with less people, just less people showing up, and the hope that finding Dennis alive was really dwindling. Yeah. On June 29th, the last search effort was made, and on September 14th, 1969, the search was officially closed. Wow. Isn't it like 48 hours is like your best chance of finding it? Yeah, I think it's like if you don't find someone within 48 hours, there's like an 80% chance that you never will or something. And then it rained, too, within those 48 hours. Yeah. So, with 13,420 man-hours logged and 200 hours of helicopter search from the air, the search for Dennis still remains the largest search in the history of the Smoky Mountains. The area in which Dennis disappeared is known for steep slopes and rushing ravines, wild animals such as poisonous snakes... Bears, feral hogs, and bobcats also roam the area. Dude, have you ever seen feral hogs? No. Actually, yes, I have. They're scary as shit. They are possibly the single scariest animal I have ever seen. I know that they're like super aggressive. Yeah. So. Yeah, they like don't give a fuck. (laughs) There are several theories as to what could have happened to Dennis, but there are three main theories. So the first theory is that Dennis just got lost. Even though he was minutes from the campsite, most people believe he just perished from exposure and being out in the wilderness because, I mean, he was only six years old. Right. He was just a little. Yeah. This is the theory that most park officials subscribe to, and it's honestly the most logical explanation. Yeah. I mean, he's a very, very small boy. Yeah. So if he just, I mean, if he even wandered off and then, like, sat down because he was scared. Yeah. That's enough. Yeah. The second theory is that Dennis was attacked by a wild animal. Mm-hmm. So either a bear or a feral pig. My money's on a pig if it's anything. So he may have just been carried off and eaten by an animal. Yeah, it's also kind of likely if he was a little kid. Yeah. Though officials say that this theory is extremely unlikely because mm-hmm. the animals, they would have attacked the boy but how would they have done so so close to the campsite without anyone hearing anything or noticing anything? Yeah, and also... Or even, like, seeing blood, you know? Yeah, I feel like if an animal attacked you, like... Or he would have screamed or something. Yeah, you would have definitely heard that. He was five minutes from, like, where his dad was sitting. Yeah. But also, during the time Dennis went missing, it was a very dry summer, and there were reports of animals looking for food in places they normally wouldn't. 
So, I don't know. Could have happened. Maybe he walked away and then an animal got him. I don't know. That's very frustrating that it was a very dry summer. Mm-hmm. And then, like, four days after this kid goes missing, it, it rains poured. every fucking day. Yeah. Like, what is that? Right. So, I'm not sure an animal could have dragged him off that quickly. Like, we said, without anyone hearing his screams. And it would be likely they would at least find scraps of clothing nearby, but they didn't find anything. Yeah, or, like, large animal tracks, mm-hmm. something. Like, you know a barefoot. Or, exactly. like, feral hogs don't travel. They travel in, like, scary little murder packs. <laughs> so there would have been, like, a ton of them. Or the third theory, which, in my opinion, is the most fucked up theory, and is the theory that Dennis's own father believes to be true, okay. is that Dennis was kidnapped by a wild man living in the Smokies. Right. Of which, we just talked about, there's, like, a lot of lore about. Yeah. So. Yeah. We don't know. Now, the logical explanation would be the first one. Mm-hmm. Dennis wandered too far and got lost, but they never found any clothing or remains. And remember, Dennis wasn't far from the campsite when the boys planned their jump scare prank. I mean, the adults literally watched as the kids went to hide and jump out to scare them. So how would Dennis have gotten that far away in such a short amount of time unless someone carried him away? Yeah, yeah. And you know what? Honestly, um, if you are a feral person, you probably are very good at going through the wilderness Mm -hmm. undetected. And I think, like, this is the theory that the father Mm -hmm. thinks is true, probably because... I mean, if you're sitting right there and you see your kid hide behind a bush yeah. and then five minutes later, he's just nowhere to be seen. No, How is that possible? I would probably subscribe to this too because I, I would think there is no other option. Yeah. I mean, children how, are how can he get kidnapped. that far? Yeah. There's, how can he get that far? There's no way. You said he went two miles looking for this mm-hmm. boy. If Dennis was out there, he would have heard his dad yelling. Yeah. I mean, there was like, what, four or five people in addition yeah. to Dennis, mm-hmm. you know they were all looking. All looking. And no one found yeah. him or any trace exactly. of him. And he's small, too, so he probably he couldn't get that far. It just it makes no sense. Yeah. Oh, I hate it, but I love this theory. Yeah. Well, to back this theory up, on the same weekend Dennis, has, Dennis went missing forever, the Key family from Carthage, Tennessee, was also camping in the Smoky Mountains. They were exploring Cades Cove, which was a few miles away from where Dennis and his group were. At the time, the family had no idea there was a missing boy in the area and just went about their trip. So they finished their trip, came home, whatever. It wasn't until weeks later when Harold Key, the father, heard about the missing boy and the giant search that was all over the news. So, Harold called officials and reported that during that same weekend out with his family, they heard an enormous, sickening scream (gasps) and a cry for help. And then claimed they saw a figure running through the woods afterwards. Oh, my God. At first, Harold's son thought it was just a bear that they had seen. But then they realized that it wasn't a bear, and it was actually just a wild, disheveled-looking man who was hiding in the bushes. Holy shit. Harold thought that the man might have just been a moonshiner who lived in the mountains. But the problem with this was that Harold could not pinpoint the exact time that they spotted this man. And the FBI discounted the testimony because they deemed that the distance from where Dennis was last seen was just too far away from where... They spotted this man, so they were like, there can't be any connection. 
good old FBI hiding the feral people all over again. Yep. We all know the truth. <laughs> Some stories on the internet say that Harold and his family claimed that the man was carrying something on his shoulder, something that was bright red, but they couldn't make out what it was. And Dennis was also wearing a bright red shirt when oh, wow. he went missing. Yeah. But no one knows if this is actual testimony from the Keys family or if it's just been rumors swirling on the internet perpetrating the story of feral cannibals living in the Smokies. So there's actually, I don't know how much truth there is to that, but that is a thing that is going around on the internet. I don't not believe it. Can't confirm it. Can't deny it. The family ended up offering a $5,000 reward to anyone who knew where Dennis might be, but nothing ever came of it. Years later, a couple of ginseng poachers, which, okay, that's apparently a thing. Sure, just buy it in the store. <laughs> they came across some remains in the woods. Remains that they thought looked like that of a human child, scattered around by scavengers and in an area that wasn't that far away from where Dennis went missing. Oh, okay. So they found, like, a little human skeleton. Yeah. But I guess since they were ginseng poachers, illegally harvesting fucking ginseng, they didn't want to go to jail, so they just didn't report it. So that's cool. I don't even understand what a ginseng poacher is. I don't either. I literally Stop. Googled can, it. Can we just take, like, a second? I need to, like, now know what ginseng it's is because so I felt like I knew what it was. It's a person who goes in the woods and they literally search for ginseng roots. And they illegally harvest ginseng roots from, like, forests, national parks. It's apparently a thing. I didn't know ginseng was, like, that hot of a thing to be searching for. Does but it fucking grow here? Apparently it grows in the Smokies. This is stupid. <laughs> oh, check this out. Mm -hmm. It is legal to harvest ginseng outside or inside of a park with a permit. Yeah, so I guess they didn't have a permit. Okay. So that's why they didn't tell the police but about a body that they found yeah okay. also it was the 70s like write a fucking note to the police department or leave an anonymous tip from a payphone and basically anyone could get away with murder in the 70s um, a lot of people did so i think you would have been fine telling the police you found bones in the woods anonymously like no one's gonna know it's you no, just write a letter that's like there's bones and no one will ever be able to track it. Yeah. DNA wasn't a thing. No. Fingerprinting was wildly inaccurate. Yeah. There were so many murderers that are like, here's a floppy disk of everything I did. You'll never find me. Love Gary Posty. <laughs> so it wasn't until years later when one of the ginseng poachers <laughs> was hanging heavy on their ginseng-filled conscience. So one of them couldn't forget about the bones and told one of the people involved in the original search for Dennis that they may have found Dennis's remains while ginseng poaching. I would be I would be embarrassed. Like, hey, I may have found your son's body, but I yeah. was so hopped up on the high of finding ginseng <laughs> in the wild. I was full of ginseng laden adrenaline. I didn't want to get in trouble. It's just like I got a belly full of ginseng in me. You're gonna lay this shit on me? I'm gonna make a shirt. I'm Okay, this is going to be in the merch store soon. What should it say? <laughs> Illegal ginseng poacher. No bodies found. Which 
You're on you're on the right track there. Something. Okay. You're on the right track. You guys, what kind of shirt would you want to wear? Just tell me. It has to be ginseng poaching related because I want one too. Also, I realize I have never said the words ginseng and poaching or poachers <laughs> together in a sentence as many times if I said it as I've said in this episode. You never will again. And I never will again. You may never say that <laughs> phrase, ginseng poacher, for the rest of your life. Nope. Nope, I will what not. What a ridiculous thing to be doing. Yeah. So once the ginseng poachers Jesus Christ. <laughs> called in the tip, a search party of 30 people set out to track the North Carolina side of the mountains in search for the possible remains. However, it had been years since the bones were spotted, and they could not find anything. Those damn ginseng poachers. Goddamn God ginseng poachers. <laughs> to this day, no one has an answer for where Dennis may be or what could have happened to him. But the giant search for Dennis was not in vain. It actually helped to develop a new strategy and science for search and rescue efforts. Because they learned the hard way that sometimes more people you have isn't always better. Yeah, that would make sense. I mean, like, yeah, crime scene-wise. Mm-hmm. Also, if they had just followed the wild ginseng trail, maybe <laughs> they would have found him. That's what the that's, shirt's saying. Follow the, the wild ginseng trail. <laughs> so now searches for missing people typically include less people who can trample over clues and more people who are trained to know what to look for, you know. Dennis's family never stopped searching for the boy, even after the large search was called off. And this just freaking breaks my heart. But his grandfather, Clyde, continued to search for him (gasps) and gather people on the Appalachian Trail to search. Even four years after his disappearance, his grandfather was just still searching and just never gave up. That's so sad. I know. He would, like, organize his own groups of people just to go out there. Wow. And they never found anything. It's really heartfelt. I bet he was powered by um, ginseng. (laughs) By wild ginseng. Gives you a lot of energy. So, you know, yeah. That's... (laughs) Just gnaw on this ginseng root for strength. It's honestly super sad, but at least he got to eat a lot of roots. Yeah. So that's a silver lining to that. Yeah. Well, all right. Feral people stole a baby. So we have proof of that. And also ginseng poaching. What's What do you think is worse? Ginseng poaching illegal, or stealing a baby? Illegal ginseng poaching <laughs> or kidnapping a child. It's pretty close. I would, yeah. But I think I'm going to mm-hmm. have to go wild ginseng poaching. Yeah, you know, I might have to flip a coin because honestly, what's more offensive? Stealing ginseng from our national parks or stealing a baby? Stealing ginseng for sure. How dare they? wild ginseng how dare they i was not expecting this and i am thrilled (laughs) so of course like with anything else in the world there are people that try to make money off of or exploit the idea of feral children that's right people we're talking hoaxes and money making schemes and illegal ginseng poaching Unfortunately, a lot of children that are deemed to be feral are actually just disabled, but are and were treated like wild animals. Yeah. Often, they were used as entertainment, and admission was charged to see these children. That's so fucked. Let's start with a very, very fun story that I love very much. There were so many of these, like, hoaxes. Yeah. That I had trouble narrowing it down. And I was finding a lot of, um, so... 
clearly there were some that were obviously hoaxes, but then there were other sites that were like perpetrating this lie that mm. it was real. Yeah. And so there was a lot of conflicting information. Yeah. Like, because some people, it's like just, they just took the story and just ran with it. Because it's like, oh, wild, feral child. This is cool. Like, top 10, I like saw a website, it was like top 10 feral children. Yeah. And some of these are on there. And I was like, no. First off, what a weird sentence. Top 10 feral, <laughs> feral children. children. Like, top 10 Emmys looks. <laughs> top 10 corned beef recipes. Top 10 feral children. <laughs> Sorry, you didn't make it. You weren't feral enough mm, to make this. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. top 20. Top, but... At least top 100 feral. Yeah. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> on the charts, <laughs> on the charts, where are you charting on the feral list, the feral children's list? Billboards, 100 feral children. <laughs> Billboards, top 100 feral children. <laughs> That's also going to go on a teacher. Get ready. All right. So let's start with um, one that I love very, very much. Mostly for his name, to be honest. Peter the Wild Boy. Nice. I love it. He was born around 17, I almost said 19. He was almost, (laughs) (laughs) he was born around 1713 in Hanover, Germany. He was found in 1925 at the age of about 12, but they didn't know for sure, Mm -hmm. near the woods of Hamlin, which, uh, fun fact, is where the Pied Piper story takes place. Oh, okay. He had been living by himself for an unknown length of time, and they weren't even 100% sure how old he was. The boy walked on all fours, and he ate plants. He was said to be, quote, uncivilized and exhibiting very unusual behavior. The boy was collected from the wilds of Germany and brought back to England. Once back in London, Peter was dressed up in very fancy clothes. They liked to put him in green because they said it would, like, camouflage him in, like, the jungle, but it was, like, green brocade velvet so like why would why would he need to be camouflaged in london it's like uh no like to make him feel more at home no like uh like a look at this fucking idiot who's wearing camouflage in london like was it the old british accent or the new one though look at this fucking idiot over here (laughs) 1713 probably the old one i would say yeah for sure definitely So they dressed him up in his fancy clothes and they paraded him around, sort of like a sideshow act, if Mm. you will. There was also a satire written about him called, get this, this is the most incredible name ever. The most wonderful wonder that ever appeared to the wonder of the British nation. Wonder. Wonder. (laughs) That was written by John Abenoff. Did he just not have an another word to put in there or he just really liked the word wonder the most wonderful wonder that ever appeared to the wonder of the british nation the most wonderful wonder whoever wondered and once his little parading sideshow act kind of wrapped up peter was given to caroline princess of wales given to her yep as a gift okay yeah by the king after public after the public became bored of seeing peter like they didn't care about him anymore he's a person not a piece of meat well they gave this piece of meat boy to caroline this i just feel like that's so fucked up right it is very but honestly it was probably the best possible thing for him because when caroline took him took him and took over his guardianship she continued to dress him in his fun little outfits for sure he got to wear more than green which i think is really nice yeah and she did hire a doctor to take care of him and try to educate him well that's good Mm mm-hmm 
Peter was never able to speak or read or write. He lived in Kensington Palace with Caroline for a while until his care was passed on to one of the Queen's chamberwomen named Miss Titchborn. That's not a real last name. It's a it's a British last name, which they all sound made up. Titchborn. Mrs. Titchborn. That's like a Mrs. Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> In exchange for caring for Peter the Wild Boy. She was given a healthy pension and a long vacation at a farm in, you ready for this, Mm -hmm. North Church, Hertfordshire. That's the most British thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, I don't know where it is, but it's so British that I couldn't not say it. (laughs) I feel like someone's going to yell at me and be like, it's Hertfordshire or something. I don't know. Oh, totally. Hertfordshire, there's an E on the end, so I feel like it's Shire. Sure, Shire. We should have consulted our British friends. Tomato, tomato. Oh, they're going to love that one. (laughs) Okay. Eventually, Peter was given to the farmer um, at this farm that they were vacationing at. The farmer was given the government pension of 35 pounds once a year for his care, which I looked up and is 8,200 pounds in today's money or about 11,000 American dollars. Holy shit. So per, for, a year for a year of taking care of him? Pretty, pretty sick, right? Yeah. He probably just put him to work on the farm, too, so it was, like, free labor. Oh, he for sure did. And then also got paid for him giving him free yes, labor. absolutely. In 1751, Peter went missing from the farm, but he was found a few days later after people in the town reported sightings of, quote, an orangutan <laughs> starting little fires. Okay. So... <laughs> so Can you imagine what the call to the police must have been like? In 1751, you have to, like, run to the police. and There's an orangutan starting fires. Very small fires, but they're everywhere. (laughs) So Peter was rounded up, and he was returned to the farm. And then Peter was fitted with a leather collar that had his name and address on it. Come on, he's not a dog. Don't worry. The name and address was written on silver because it was fancy. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he wore a leather collar around his neck. Jesus. Yeah. Peter died in 1785, around the age of 70, which is great, from natural causes. Oh, good for him. There are tons of paintings of Peter, and now we know that he likely had a chromosome disorder called Pitt-Hopkins syndrome. Persons with this condition often have very similar features to that of Peter the Wild Boy, such as a curvy Cupid's bow, a very short stature, Coarse, curly hair, drooping eyelids, and thick lips, and a love of starting little fires. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, there was this disabled boy that was left to fend for himself, and then the British royals found him in Germany, charged money for exhibitions of him, and then they were bored with him, so they sent him to live on a farm and wear a collar like a dog. (sighs) So not exactly a hoax, but definitely not a feral child. Yeah, uh, I don't. We shouldn't be treating disabled people like animals and putting collars on them. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah, he was just a disabled boy. Wow. This next story is pretty interesting because it's a case of a woman claiming to be feral, but she wasn't. Oh, and I like this one. I love this. Okay, I'm excited. It's very. I feel like this is on brand, and like, <laughs> I'm just gonna put this out there. This feels like something we wouldn't not do. Yeah. 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 So in 1731, a woman wearing what I would describe as caveman clothes. Love it. Yeah, she had like tattered animal skins and she was carrying a giant club. 
I love that I know that this is fake too. So she probably like a lot of thought went into her outfit. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like she. <laughs> I don't know, how am I gonna look the most feral? Yeah, for sure, dude. So she was seen near the French village. She was called the Savage Girl of Champagne. That's a dope ass title. It is. And um, I don't know if you knew this, but for a feral woman to be from Champagne, to be considered a Champagne Savage Girl, um, <laughs> she has to be from Champagne. If she's from anywhere else, she's just considered Sparkling Savage. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yeah, those are the rules. So the village lured her out of the forest and they captured her with a nut, which I also fucking love. I love it. Love that for her. She said that she, the villager said that she only spoke in animalistic whoops and squeaks and they fed her raw meat, which is what she, like the only thing that she ate. Mm. But I almost feel like they only fed her raw meat. And she's like, Did yeah. Did try to cook it? She's or? like, I'm going to eat this because this is all I have. Yeah, I'm starving. I haven't eaten for like three days. I guess I'll eat this raw hamburger. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know for sure. Um, but I would imagine that that's probably yeah. what happened here. So she did beat a guard dog to death with her <gasps> club. But the dog tried to attack her. Yeah. And she also hit a bunch of villagers on the head with her club as well. I don't care about that. So that's sort of fun. A kind villager took her in, cleaned her up, and started teaching her French. She assimilated into the French culture, like, super well. Learned French, like, in no time at all. Like, totally, mm. like, totally got with the program. She's a whiz! She was baptized and given the name of Marie-Angelique Mem de Blanc, and she was sent to live in a convent. Oh, okay. That's where we put women when we don't know what to do with them. That's... Exactly how history works. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. In 1765, the truth came out. She said that she was pretending to be a feral woman to escape a group of men that had kidnapped her from her home. <gasps> and it's now believed that she's part of the Meskwaki tribe, which is now, which is like basically located in what we would call Wisconsin now. Oh. So she was taken. She's a, like a Native American taken from America and brought what? to like kidnapped and brought to France. <gasps> and then she was like, "Fuck this." Oh my god. Mhm. And then she pretended to be feral to get away from them, <sighs> which is dope as hell. Did she pretend to be feral or was she really just like, "Everyone get the fuck away from me?" I don't know. She had <laughs> a giant club and <laughs> I would too. Yeah. If a bunch of men kidnapped me, I'd find the nearest thing I could do. Yeah, watch a bitch get feral, right? <laughs> so, this is like a self-inflicted hoax and it's absolutely my favorite one. Yeah. I like it. It's power. It's a nice. boss boss babe right here. Hashtag, hashtag boss feral babe. Okay. The final hoax that I want to talk about, um, which I I believe in my heart of hearts that this is real. I want it to be real. I know. I know it's a hoax. Um, I want it. So, you you know, love this. You love this one so much. I've been talking about this for fucking weeks. She has. It's the Syrian gazelle boy. I love him. I love this boy. I want to feed him little grasses out of my hand. And I want to see him run across the plains with his gazelle brethren. I love him so much. She does. If, if she's not even, that's not even an, exager- an exaggeration. No. She literally has been talking about this boy. This is not a bit. For this... probably three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I love him so much. I thought it was real and then I found out it wasn't. Yeah. And I want to believe it is real. Well, you can believe it. 
Thank you. So supposedly in 1946, a child was discovered in the Syrian Sahara by anthropologist Jean-Claude Agar. The story ran in Time Life magazine in October of that same year. The boy was around 12 or 13 years old, and he was seen running with a herd of gazelle. The boy was running and leaping like the gazelle, as a quote from this article states, It was possible to follow the running child through binoculars, but he was caught only after being chased by an Iraqi army jeep. (laughs) Though he managed to maintain a speed of 50 kilometers per hour, he was eventually captured and shamefully bound hand and foot. Tall and slender with a bushy mop of black hair, powerful ankles, and muscles like steel springs. The boy resembled the youths of a tribe from Upper Gambia, who hunt with bows and run as fast as their dogs, forcing hares and even antelopes to run for their lives. So let that picture just wash over you. So I just did the math on what 50 kilometers per hour is in <laughs> miles per hour, okay. and it's 31 miles per hour that he was running. You go, gazelle boy. You go. <laughs> Is that possible? I don't How think fast it, can people run? I don't think people can run 30 miles per hour, but I don't know. Are you looking it up? Okay, let us know when you know. In an attempt to capture the boy, two helicopters and Iraqi jeeps were deployed with nets. They chased him, but he outran the helicopters and jeeps, and his would-be captors failed the first time. Eventually, the child was lured into a villager's home, but he escaped constantly. And then they'd get him back, and then he'd escape, and then they'd get him back. Okay, so I have some um, news for you guys. So apparently, the fastest a person can run is 40 miles per hour. What? But currently, the fastest person in the world is Usain Bolt, and he can only run 28 miles per hour. Well, Gazelle Boy can whoop his motherfucking (laughs) ass. So, Usain Bolt, you think you're fast? You think you're fast? You're listening to this? I know you listen to the show. Meet Gazelle Boy. Meet Gazelle Boy. Yeah. Outrun a net. You can't do it. You can't do it. So Gazelle Boy was taken in 1955. He was put in public boarding school, but he escaped. He jumped out of a window. Love it. And he ran through the streets of Damascus. When the boy was captured again, he had an operation to sever his Achilles what? tendons, making it impossible for him to run ever again. That's cruel. Which sounds super fucked up, right? Mm-hmm. But it's probably all fake. So, like, don't it's, feel it's too all, bad. All of this is fake, right? Like, someone just made it up and then, like, sold the story to Time Life Mag, like, Time yeah. Magazine. It's also all, it was in the top 10 feral kids. <laughs> the Syrian gazelle he boy would was. Be num- he's number one in my heart. Actually, Oksana was from the first episode. Oh, yeah. I do love her. Oksana Malaya. Yeah. I watched a lot of her YouTube videos after that episode. Terrible. I think Syrian Gazelle Boy was like three or four, though. Fuck yeah. Definitely made top five. Top five. (laughs) (laughs) So fucked up. So I wish it was real. I wish um, from the bottom Mm. of my heart that there was a beautiful, graceful Gazelle Boy running through the Syrian Sahara, beating the fuck out of Usain Bolt's world record. But (laughs) alas... It's probably not true. Yeah. Well, another fraudulent case of feral children is that of sisters Amala and Kamala. You know they're fake because it rhymes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the story of two feral sisters who were raised by a she-wolf, Romulus and Remus style. (laughs) But it's 
It's all just a bunch of baloney. So, spoiler, I guess. So the story goes like this. In 1926, a man named Joseph Amarito Lessing published a story that two young girls were sent to his orphanage by a man who claimed he found the girls in a cage near his home. Part of me believes that story. Yeah, honestly, maybe. Yeah, no, that's not unbelievable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He claimed to live in the jungle. This man claimed to live in the jungle near the village of Gadamuri in the district of Minapur, west of Calcutta, and that these girls were just abandoned in this cage. Wow. But later, the rector of the orphanage, Joseph Singh, claimed that he actually rescued the girls himself and that he rescued them from a wolf's den on October 9th, 1920. Oh, okay. So he's making it all about himself. Yes. Okay. And he named the girls Amala and Kamala. Okay. So they're like, what are their names? And he's like, um, uh, Amala and Amakamala. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Those are their names. Mm-hmm. Kamala was around eight years old, and Amala was only about 18 months old. Singh observed the girls and kept a diary about their behavior for about 10 years. And at the time, there was nothing like this ever documented. And had it been true, it would have been extremely groundbreaking for the rehabilitation for feral children. But it was fake. But it was all fucking fake. Yeah. In a diary entry dated October 17th, 1920, Singh writes, The mother wolf, whose nature was so ferocious and affection so sublime, it struck me with wonder. I was simply amazed to think that an animal had such a noble feeling surpassing even that of mankind. To bestow all the love and affection of a fond and ideal mother on these peculiar beings... This is very romantic and poetic, and also really fucking weird. Well, it's all fake, so, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Singh also wrote in his diary that while at the orphanage, the girls exhibited wolf-like behavior and acted feral. He claimed they hated when people tried to put clothes on them and would not eat their food if it was cooked and would also walk on all fours like a wolf. He wrote that they had grown calluses on their hands and knees from consistently walking on all fours, that they were nocturnal and had an aversion to sunlight, Okay, stating that they could see in the dark very well and had an acute sense of smell and could hear better than a normal human. Okay, so what he's describing is not a feral child, but some sort of hybrid or possibly a vampire. A lichen vampire hybrid. 100% that. Also, I just want to bring something up here. Um, There are a lot of actual cases of feral children, Mm -hmm. and every one of them that does walk on all fours, it's feet and hands. They're not walking on their knees. You know how fucking long it takes to walk around on your knees? (laughs) So long. So, like, that doesn't even make any logical sense. Well, it's because it's fake. (laughs) I mean, what is this, human centipede? No, they're walking on their feet and their hands. Yeah. He said they loved raw meat and would only eat out of a bowl on the ground, and they refused to use utensils. No, if this is real, he only fed them raw meat out of a bowl on the ground and didn't (laughs) give them forks. Exactly. He said they seemed like they were insensitive to cold and heat and did not exhibit any human emotions, 
except for fear. Okay. He also said the girls would howl at the moon at night, no. trying to call out for their family. No. And neither of them could speak, which no. is like... He basically saw, like, a movie about a wolf once and then just, just started just this, adding all of these things. This is a guy that wrote a paper once about a werewolf. <laughs> about a werewolf. And he's like, yeah, it checks out. He claimed the girls had taken on the appearance of a wolf, too, stating their foreheads were retreated and that their lower face stuck out more, almost sort of like snout-like, and that they snarled. Like wolves, also. You can't see this, but I'm rolling my eyes pretty hard. (laughs) Singh claimed that he rehabilitated the girls and taught them to be humans. In 1921, Amala died of a kidney infection, and at the time of her death, Kamala mourned her, which proved that what Singh was doing was working. After Amala's death, Kamala became more developed and started acting more human-like. And after a couple of years, she was able to walk upright, but would sometimes revert to all fours. And she learned some words, but was never fully able to communicate. And then in 1929, Kamala died of tuberculosis. Oh, that's sad. So they were real people. Mm -hmm. They were real, for sure. They were actual people who were brought into the orphanage. Okay. He just, like, exploited the shit out of it. Yeah. Now, all of this is very interesting information, But the only problem with it is that the only person who can substantiate these claims is Mr. Singh himself, which obviously is very controversial. Yeah, like a little bit. He's like, oh, they grew grew wolf faces and howled at the moon. Yeah. French surgeon Serge Aroles conducted a study of the validity of the case when he wrote his book, L'Enigma des Enfants Loups. I don't know if I said that right, but we're going to get with it. I like it. Or the English version, which I can definitely say, Enigma of the Wolf Children. And he wrote this in 2007. That's a great band name. (laughs) He studied archives and interviewed sources who were alive and present during the so-called rehabilitation. And he concluded that the diary that Singh claimed to have written in and documented during the rehabilitation and he claimed to have done this day to day. Well, he found out that it actually wasn't rent- wasn't written in 1920 when the girls first showed up. Instead, he found that it was written in India in 1935, which is six years after Kamala died. So okay. they were both dead at that point. That's so weird. And this, and that the so-called pictures that he had of the girls were actually taken in 1937, which is also way after both of them died. This is so weird. The pictures are actually of two girls from Mindapur posing, as Singh told them to, basically pretending like they were Amala and Kamala. Yeah, okay. That's weird. Serge interviewed the doctor at the orphanage who was present during the time when the girls were brought in. And he said that Kamala had none of the anomalies that Singh wrote of in his book. He wrote she resembled a wolf and that she had long, sharp teeth. She could see in the dark and that her eyes glowed in the dark, kind of like a cat's does or like the people from Midnight Mass, if you watched that show. I haven't watched it yet. No spoilers. If you haven't, you definitely should because it's amazing. 
But other witnesses, and several of them, claimed that Singh used to beat Kamala to get her to act like a wolf when he was showing her, you know, in front of people to try to impress them. Okay, so sideshow shit. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Serge also came across letters between Singh and Professor Robert M. Zing, in which Professor Zing was all like, we can make millions off this story. Let's collaborate and get this fake shit published. Wow. So it was all, I mean, it's completely, they was just doing it for money. Yeah, I wouldn't ever trust a doctor named Zing. <laughs> just put that out there. After Professor Zing published the totally real, not fake at all diary, mm-hmm. he sent a royalty payment to Mr. Singh of $500, who actually needed the money desperately to keep the orphanage afloat. So together, Zing and Singh co-authored a book called Wolf Children and Feral Man, which was heavily criticized by anthropologists. Yeah, checks out. Zing's involvement with this fake-ass book basically ruined his professional reputation. <laughs> Good. And it resulted in his dismissal from his academic post at the University of Denver in 1942. And he actually never taught again. Good. Good. Fuck that guy. Yeah. It was later discovered that the girls probably just had a neurodevelopmental disorder, such as Rett syndrome, which is a genetic disorder, and symptoms include impairments in language and coordination, and this mostly occurs in girls and causes slower growth, which could then affect them in walking, so it causes difficulty walking upright and usually causes the person to have a smaller head. Does it also cause night vision and moon howling? No, it doesn't. Oh, okay. It absolutely does not. Okay, sounds right. Complications of this syndrome include seizures, scoliosis, and also problems sleeping. Oh. So he basically just used their condition to perpetrate the lie that they were feral and that they were raised by wolves, which is just absolutely disgusting. Yeah, super gross. And actually, several other scholars from Japan and France have also supported Serge and his conclusion that this case of feral children was just a complete hoax. It sounds super made up. I mean, he went off the deep end also, so like maybe reel that back a little bit. Yeah. But um, that's super sad. And also, I feel like it's really scary that this man was in charge of orphans. Yeah. Just in general. He like Well, I mean, he did it for money for the orphanage, but... It's like they proved that it was wrong because they did, like, the DNA testing of the paper Uh from the diary. And they're like, he didn't write this in 1920. He wrote this in 1935. Like, I don't get it. I don't understand. If you're going to lie, at least do it well. Yeah. I guess. Well, I mean, it was. I I mean, back then, that test didn't exist, but That's true. Still. That's true. Like, you could have mailed, like, a floppy disk to, like, the cops and been like, (laughs) I murdered a bunch of people, but you'll never know who I am. So, yeah, a floppy disk had existed back then. Yeah. All right. Well, there it is. There's feral children, feral people, kissing cousins type of suite. So hope you enjoyed. Yeah. And also, if you are the listener that told us to do it, please let us know. We're super, super sorry. We'll give you a shout out on the next episode. Yeah. Sorry, Bill. Sorry, Sorry, Bill Withers. (laughs) This week's listener lore is from Kelly M. She says, hey, guys, three exclamation points. Hey, Kelly. That's the perfect amount of exclamation points also, so I fully approve of this, Kelly. Mm -hmm. She said, I legit wanted to just send that, but I have so much more to say. (laughs) Smiley face. 
I stumbled upon your podcast via Spotify a few months ago, and I loved it. I believe it was the Madame LaLaurie episode. I've had it in my head to start my own podcast, but all others I've listened to came off so structured and formal, I was intimidated, and I didn't feel like I could do that. After hearing the way that you two conduct your podcast, I felt more confident in my idea. Yay! Don't worry, it's not of similar content to yours. We believe in you. We do believe in you. And also, I just want to say this Um, we're not competition, okay? Like, Mm -mm. no. We are all here to support each other and to just, you can fucking do it, dude. And if you need help, if anyone listening to this right now needs help with the podcast, Hit us up. Hit us up. Because we figured it all out ourselves, and man, it was a wild ride in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, so let us help you, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, go to www.nickandnohaveapodcast, <laughs> and we want to help you backslash, if you want, comma, smiley face, dollar sign. Women supporting women. Ampersand. <laughs> and that's the website. So you can just go there, and we'll help you out. Okay. So Kelly continues, you guys are my spirit animals, and I thank you for what you do. Oh, that's so sweet. Now for my small listener lore. My mom passed away when I was 15. I've had her jewelry box since then, but she wore mostly gold jewelry, which wasn't my thing. When I was in grad school, we had a formal and I needed gold jewelry, so I came home and tried to find some. I got a few earrings and was hunting for a ring. She had a few clotter rings which is the Irish promise ring. Yeah, hell yeah. You're our resident Irishman here. (laughs) Um, She was tiny and had small fingers, so none of them fit me. I really wanted to wear a ring to this formal, so the day I left, I checked again. One of the clotter rings fit me. I could have sworn that I had tried on everything, and I still have that ring too today. If I ever get my podcast going... I'll let you know, and sorry for how long this became. It was so short, babe. Don't oh, worry. Yeah. Not even You're a little fine. bit. Anyways, thank you again for sharing the strange and keeping it unusual. XOXO, Kelly. Oh, That was so sweet. Thank you so That's much, Kelly. Sweet. I'd like to think that the spirit of your mama made that ring fit you. Yeah. I think Isn't it with the Collada rings? If you put the heart facing towards you, you're taken, and if it's facing outwards... You're not. I have no idea. I think that's what it is. I used to have one. I used to have one, too. I lost um, it. <laughs> I don't know what I did with mine. So. Mine's definitely lost. Yeah. Actually, I think I've had several. Yeah. All lost. I have no idea. I don't know. So, yeah. So if you guys have a fun story, if you want to start a podcast, or just say, hey, guys, with three exclamation points, Yeah. make sure to hit us up. You can always, always, always... Slippery slide into our sexy little DMs. We're on all the social means at Quite Unusual Pod. And you can also email us your stories at quiteunusualpod at gmail.com. And if you want to get a little bit more involved with us in the podcast, you can join our Patreon. We have several tiers to choose from, so you can pick which one fits you best and I don't know. Come hang out with us. Yeah, do it. We have like some fun events. We have a very, very fun Discord chat channel. I love it so much. It's like all my besties live in my Discord. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, join the coven if you want to get down and support the pod monetarily. And we actually have a couple of new patrons to introduce. So first we have Summer R. Welcome. And Salvador A. Welcome. Georgia B. 
Welcome. Caitlin R. Welcome. And last, we have Brandon H. The only good Brandon. The only good one. Just kidding. All Brandons are good. Well, maybe. (laughs) And as always, remember to celebrate the strange. And keep it unusual. Bye. And now, on to the part of the show. Wait, should we do this in the authentic British accent? I think we shall. I'm not very good at it, but I'll try a bit. You're way better than I am, so this is going to be very fun. And this is the part of the show. <laughs> we give praise to all you fucknuts out there. You lead us, support us, the part. I can't do this accent. It's really hard to do. Should we just go back? I want to go back and stop okay. doing this. <laughs> It's really hard. I'm not good at this accent. (gasps) Okay. And this is the part of the show where we give prayers to the all-knowing ladies, supporters of the pod, and all-around benevolent beings. Spencer W., part of the CIA, the Cryptid Innocence Association. Mm. Are you a cryptid that's been wrongfully accused of anything other than being blurry? Call 1-800-HELP-CIA. That's 1-800-HELP-CIA. And remember, if you are cryptid and you're being accused of being blurry, that is your God-given right. Mm, Yes. To Tim M., who once encountered the spirit of Bruce Willis in Central Park, or maybe it was actually Bruce Willis? No, no, I think he's been dead the whole time, right? Is he Bruce Willising us right now? He's, He's been Bruce Willising us this entire time. Oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. Savannah L., a cryptid that has been wrongfully accused of trashing a campsite. She just wanted to share her s'mores. It's not her fault the campers weren't receptive to her friendship. Savannah, please call 1-800-HELP-CIA. That's 1-800-HELP-CIA. To Dylan B., the opposite of an energy vampire... Dylan feeds off positive vibes, which is honestly so refreshing. Love to see it, Dylan. Love it. Lauren R. The R stands for reptilian. We're on to you, Lauren. Better watch out. Better not lose your heating lamp, Lauren, you reptilian. To Kaylee O., who holds the world record for the most blood donated in a calendar year to Mm. the Red Cross. We're we're not sure where she's getting all of this blood, but she just keeps showing up with buckets of it. Please, have them stop calling me. All they want is my blood. Oh my god, it's mine. Don't take my blood (sighs) from me. Dress H. Can't go to Romania anymore. She's been banned. Too much impaling. The townsfolk are pissed. Honestly, we don't even want to get into it right now. Like, I know they call you Dress Impaler, but honestly... Take a break, honey. It's too much impaling. To Evan K., who thought he adopted a Jack Russell Terrier. Turns out he adopted the world's smallest werewolf. <gasps> so cute. Adorable. KTT won a Christina Ritchie lookalike contest. She's a shapeshifter, so it's kind of cheating, but... We will never tell. I think she read the rules, and it's kind of technically allowed. Yeah, I mean, whatever. To Adam came, who has taken to wearing a beanie every day. When asked why, he revealed that his devil horns are growing back in, and he honestly just doesn't have the time to get them ground down. Mm. 
Luckily, winter is right around the corner and he doesn't look out of place. Christina N. Entered a Christina Ritchie lookalike contest. Didn't win, which is bullshit because she's actually Christina Ricci. Is she? The N at the beginning of Ritchie is silent. I bet you didn't know that. I had no, I had no idea. No. Wow, interesting. To Kelsey C, who just received her mail order rib cage xylophone. Bet she can't wait to tickle the old ivory. But, I mean, literally, because it's, it's made of human bones. Mm. John S. Can turn into a bat, but only if he yells a swear word. Problematic, but hilarious. Yes, butt face is not a swear word, John, so I'm not sure how you're pulling it off, but I'm impressed. To Caitlin R., who just moved into a one-bedroom hovel in the dark part of the forest. We got your hovel warming party invitation in the mail, and we can't wait to see you there, Caitlin. Congrats. Can't wait. We'll bring Bree. Ooh. Brandon H., a new coven member... Brandon is still learning the strict rules. Like, Ice Cream Thursdays are to be celebrated every single Thursday without fail. And of course, the rats in the headquarters are familiars, not vermin. It's okay, Brandon. You got this. All of the rats are invited to Ice Cream Thursday, so he should honestly, he should know better by now. Mm, yes. Thank you to all of our coven members on Patreon. Without you, we are nothing. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're nothing and we're not worthy. I don't, I don't think, I don't know. I haven't, you know, I haven't checked in a while if we are worthy. Mm. We should check in on that. Where's the intern? It sounds like a job for her. Are we worthy? I don't think we're worthy. Mm. 